All right. Thank you, Elise. Good morning, Chapel Hill. Look at that. We are full today. This is awesome. Love it. Um, okay. Uh, before I get going, you should see my notes up here. I have, I have so much stuff scribbled on the top and in the margins of my notes right now, so I'm going to try and cover all of it before we get going. First of all, at the tables in the back, kids, there's a whole bunch of stuff on your tables back there. Here's just a couple of guidelines for you, okay? You're going to see a puzzle on that table. Don't touch that. Don't touch the puzzle. Not yet. I'll tell you when you can attack the puzzle. That's coming in a little bit, but not yet, okay? One of the things you do have on that table is some little connects blocks and, and stuff back there to build with. Here's what I want you to build. I want you to build one of these. See this thing up here with me, up next to me on the stage? I want you to build something like this. Okay? It's going to go around. It's going to be a little greenhouse for that tiny little tomato plant that you have on your table. So you got to build me a greenhouse to go over the top of that, okay? That's your project to start off with. I'm going to get to the other things on your table later. But the worksheets and stuff you can do anytime. Just don't touch the puzzle, remember? Build me a greenhouse to go over that little tomato plant. I'll talk about that plant when we get to that in a little bit. All right, uh, a couple other things for, for all of us. Um, just uh, to let you know, the flowers that are up here are from Herb Gladen's memorial service yesterday. And I just ask that you would keep that family in your prayers as they grieve the loss of, of husband, father, grandfather. Um, he was, was quite a man. Um, I learned an awful lot from his life and from his legacy and, and um, would just ask that you continue to lift that family up in your prayers, that God would comfort them and take care of them. Um, I want to just say thank you uh, to all those of you who are here just a little while ago, came in at nine. We had a prayer time here in this room and it was rich and vibrant and the rest of you are lucky to be in here at this point because they could have just kept going and, uh, and kept you out because <laughs> we, we had a great time together. It was, um, it was just great to, to lift this church up together in prayer and there will be more opportunities for that in the days ahead. ahead. So be looking for that. Um, we've got um, lots and lots of that to come. We want to be lifting this church up in prayer on a regular basis, wherever we are. It doesn't have to be here in this room at nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. Wherever you are, remember to pray for this church. Um, many of you took up the challenge for the month of March and prayed through that prayer calendar. God is answering those prayers. He absolutely is. Look around you in this room right now. This is part of God answering our prayers for this church. Um, he has done so many things to prove his faithfulness to this church. And um, there are just lots of things to celebrate. We'll share those things with you in the days ahead. But God is active. All right. Um, a little bit of a story for you um, as we get going into the message today, um, and this has to do with my own life and my own health. Um, many of you are familiar with my history with diabetes, um, but this morning I want, to, uh, I want to turn the page on one chapter in that story and just kind of give you an update on, let's, on what's going on. And not every one of you who's here, a lot of you are new, um, not every one of you knows about this, so... I will give you a really, really brief uh, background to this. About six years ago, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, 
And um, both of my parents have it, and so clearly they decided that would be my early inheritance, um, was they just passed that on to me. Um, and it became a part of my life. It changed the way that I live. It changed the way that I ate. Put me in a place where now every single morning I'm sticking a needle in my leg and putting insulin in my body. Um, it's just something that I've learned to live with and will continue to manage and make progress with um, throughout my life. And, and there's been a lot of progress made. Um, my numbers are in check. Um, I have normal blood sugar levels, and it's, um, it's exciting to watch that happen. Now... With the diabetes, I got this buy one, get one deal. And what came on the, the get one was peripheral neuropathy. I got neuropathy and it began to affect the nerves in my feet to where I was losing nerve sensation in my feet um, at, a, at a rapid rate. It got quite bad. And so um, I was prescribed some medication to help deal with the pain that came along with that and make me more comfortable, but was also reminded by those doctors that this is something that I was going to have to live with for the rest of my life as well and just manage. And I better manage it because if I don't manage it, there was this risk that someday I would have a foot amputated or something like that. And I'll tell you what, that's not good news to hear. That is not something I wanted to hear. It was awful. Now, thanks to my wife who is this gifted researcher and for, to her diligence, she continued to look for what I can do, what's out there, what's being discovered that will help with the neuropathy. And so uh, about a year ago, I started this program with a, with a group of doctors here in the Twin Cities. And they had this very unique approach to the neuropathy. What they did was they believed that God has created our bodies in such a way that there are many, many things that happen in our bodies. Not everything, but many things that happen in our bodies that our bodies can heal themselves if they're just given the right environment and the right tools to do that healing. And so I started on this path, this treatment program, to restore and regenerate the nerves in my feet. And it came with all kinds of weird things. Um, I wore these little boots on a daily basis that had these infrared lights in them. And that light shone down into the tissue in my feet and in my legs. And it provided, just like a greenhouse, a growing environment for the nerves in my feet. Um, I did uh, electrolyte therapy for my feet, and that stimulated the growth. It got blood flowing. I took supplements that, that would help with that, that would provide my body with what it needed to regenerate the nerves in my feet. And so I began down this course of, of daily discipline and, and doing things that were intended to give my body what it needed to regenerate the nerves in my feet. My neuropathy is gone. I have been... It has been completely healed. And if I, as long as I don't let my diabetes get out of control again, um, which the first time it did, it was not that I let it get out of control. I had no idea I had it. Um, if I just let it get out of control again, this will start up again, but I'm not stupid enough to do that. I will carry on with my discipline and with what I need to do to make sure that I keep my diabetes in check and that neuropathy will not return. And I have this whole new lease on life where the pain is gone, where I don't have that discomfort, where I can actually feel things. There was a point where you could put something 
very hot on my foot, and I'd have no idea that it was there. And they did all these tests. They stuck me with things, and, and I couldn't feel a thing. And now all of that's back, and, um, and I am just absolutely excited about that. Um, many of you were praying for me on this journey, and I thank you very, very much for those prayers because God answered those prayers. It was God that put those things in my path and connected me with people that are followers of Jesus and took this all very seriously. And we talked about our faith right through the whole process, and it was something pretty amazing to see. Now, this morning, I want to connect the principle that I just shared with you to our current series of messages. I want to talk about what it can look like to create an environment in which we can truly flourish. How can we plan to flourish? What are some of the factors necessary to our flourishing? Now, up here on stage with me is this little greenhouse, and this greenhouse is designed to create an environment for seeds to sprout and little seedlings to grow. This, in this environment is everything that they need. They have the soil, they have the moisture, they have the light, they have the nutrients, they have warmth, they have everything that they need in this little environment for them to grow. And there's a whole bunch of little tomatoes and some peppers are starting to come up now um, that are growing in here. This is what I want to refer this to. What do we need to flourish in life? Now, we've been talking about this, and here's what we know so far. Look back on the series with me. Let me give you a quick recap of the messages that we covered as we went through this series. Message number one was simply called Flourish. We are a seed. Remember the seed in the soil? We are a seed completely consumed by the soil. There is no flourishing. There isn't even life apart from the soil, or for us, apart from God. With that understanding, our response to God and to the reality that he consumes us and is everything that we need, our response to him then is worship. Worship is the starting point of flourishing in our lives. Then we went on to the second message that I called me and my flourishing. What is our part in the flourishing that God desires for us? Peter showed us in the word that there are things that we can supplement to our faith to bring about flourishing. Things like moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patient endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love for everyone. We talked through that progression. Message number three was called The Art of Receiving. This was last week. We talked last week about the things that God has already provided for us, for us to flourish. We've already been given salvation, eternal life, reconciliation, adoption, faith, wisdom, the word, power, strength, mercy, grace, forgiveness, a calling, and an inheritance. All of these things are ours already, and so we can thank God for all that he's given for us to flourish. He has been very generous with us. Okay, kids at the tables, the puzzle. Remember the puzzle? Now you can take the puzzle out if you want. Here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do with the puzzle. In that bag or whatever those puzzle pieces are in, there are enough pieces in there to make a puzzle, a picture that you'll recognize easily, but there are also some pieces in there that don't belong. 
Your task is to figure out which pieces belong in the puzzle. I hear a frustrated adult already back there going, oh, come on. And <laughs> those pieces belong in the puzzle, but there are pieces that do not belong. You have to figure out which, one those, which ones those are and get them out of there and don't put them in your puzzle, okay? All right. So what stands here, but Jesus used this common illustration in his teaching. People at that time farmed to survive and to make a living, and Jesus knew that those people were in his audience, and so he spoke to them on their terms. There aren't many farmers in the room today, I know that, but I'm confident that we can all see this. We get this principle. When Jesus used the parable of the sower, he included seeds being planted among thorns. Those thorns, those weeds, represented the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. These things took away the gospel's ability to flourish in somebody's life. Now, there are so many things that I could mention here that steal in your own personal life. What is this world asking of you that God isn't? What does this world demand from you that God doesn't? And this is very personal, and that's why I'm not giving you a list. Each of us knows what we're investing in, yet God never asked us to invest in, and we know whether or not it truly does create a flourishing environment in our lives. Now, I can certainly be far too busy with the world's good things that I simply... What's deceptive is that they often do not produce the kind of flourishing that we maybe thought they would, and that's why we're investing so much in them. We would do well to identify those things in our own personal lives that fall into that category. If we're being deceived by things that the world defines as riches, we have to see that and remove those deceitful things or our pursuit of those deceitful things Get them out of our lives. Nothing of this world should stand in the way of flourishing the way that God wants us to flourish. Now, I trust that at this point in this series, last message in this series, that you recognize that I have, I have never been talking of flourishing in the same way that culture talks about flourishing. That's not what we've been talking about. I'm not talking about worldly riches, about worldly success, worldly power, worldly status. I'm not talking about anything of this world. I'm talking about our well-being spiritually, emotionally, mentally, relationally. God gives us guidance on what flourishing looks like in each of these areas. And he talks about these things in his word in multiple places. Now, talk about flourishing would definitely be incomplete without saying something about rest. Every one of us knows that we can't flourish without rest. Many of us know exactly what the opposite of rest can do to us in our state of flourishing. Um, Parents, we all know the value of nap time for our children and what happens when they don't. God made it clear that rest is part of his plan. He set aside a day each week for it in Exodus 31, 15 and in other places in his word. He made this a law at that point. Not, it wasn't a suggestion. It was a law. 
And as scary as it sounds, that law, when broken, came with the death penalty at one point. He was serious about this. God even did the same for the land. The soil rested every seven years in order to flourish. In Hebrews, it says that this Sabbath rest remains. Rest is not something that was just a a cultural expectation sometime way back in history. God knows the value of rest. Jesus invites us into his rest. Rest is critical in order for us to flourish. This is something that I'm going to apply in my own life very soon here. And so I want to take some time this morning before we head into the Easter season and share with you a little bit about my sabbatical and what this means for me and what it's going to look like. There are lots of questions out there about the sabbatical and hopefully this will clear some of that up and invite you into praying for that time and into considering what this might look like in your own life. I did a lot of research on the subject of sabbaticals and I engaged with people in my life that I I thought could bring their experience, their understanding, their perspective to the idea and I asked for their thoughts on this and they were very supportive and very helpful. The idea of a sabbatical is not a new thing. A sabbatical is an application of the biblical idea of Sabbath. For many who work in ministry, sabbatical is a regular and often required, something I'm considering, a required part of their ministry life cycle. It has multiple purposes and can take on a variety of expressions. I've landed on a plan for my sabbatical that addresses where I am at and what would be beneficial for both me and for Chapel Hill Church. Over the past two years, I've reached a point where I clearly see the need to enter into a time of rest and renewal. And if you had asked me three years ago if I was interested in a sabbatical, I definitely would have been interested, but would not have replied that, yeah, I really need one, but I'm at a place of need right now in my life. Because I want to serve this church to the best of my abilities, with total dependence on God, and serving all of you from a place of flourishing Full-time ministry demands a lot of a person. And I've recognized in the past year especially that I'm not operating from that place of full dependence and closeness and strength that God intends for me. There are many, many pastors who would simply have resigned at this point or moved to a different church family. And and honestly, many, many pastors did resign during the last two years. The numbers on that are alarming I have to be honest with you, Chapel Hill. I love you very much. And I strongly desire to return to the place where I am serving you with a full tank, spiritually and emotionally and mentally. And so God laid it on my heart to seek him and his rest and return to that place of strength and fullness and dependency Now, strangely enough, when we face challenges beyond our ability and beyond our equipping, like, say, a pandemic, our human nature and our pride have a tendency to drive us further into ourselves 
And we make the critical mistake of becoming even more dependent on our own strength and less dependent on God's. And that's where the fear and the insecurity and the burnout begin to sink in. Now that said, I still face the temptation to stay in place and prove to myself and to all of you that I'm tough enough and I can handle this. I can stick it out. I'm up to this. I can make it on my own strength. And then there's the temptation of seeing just how exciting things are getting right now in this church. God is restoring and growing Chapel Hill Church. That is very obvious to me. We're seeing a wave of new people, a wave of new engagement, a wave of ownership, a wave of passion and energy, a wave of prayer, and I want to grab my surfboard and ride that wave. And honestly, I will. (laughs) But right now, that wave scares me because I realize I don't have the strength or the passion to serve you in the way that you deserve to be served. I need some time with my eternal father. I need to talk to him. I need to listen to him. I need to confess, to ask, to receive, to be healed and restored. I need rest. And he invites me to find all that I need in him and in his rest. He led me to a plan for this sabbatical that I think lines up with who I am. Um, I am by nature a self-reflective person. It's both a blessing and a curse. I'm self-aware enough to know what's truly going on inside me, but I'm also a little too self-aware when it comes to criticizing myself when things aren't going the way I think they should be. But that self-reflection will be a good tool for me to bring my heart and my mind to the Lord and invite him to do what he wants to do during this time. So here's a brief summary of five phases that I'm looking at for this sabbatical. Um, There aren't concrete dates for some phases because some of them are going to take more time than expected. Some may take less time than expected. But the goal is to accomplish what God wants to do in me, to give him the space to do that. But this is what things will look like when this starts right after Easter. And I'm bringing this up now because I don't want to be talking about this during the Easter season. We're focused on Easter. We're focused on Jesus. So I want to share this with you now. There are five sabbatical phases that I'll travel through. The first one is called release and relinquish. This is about disengagement from ministry and leadership responsibilities and establishing a plan for the remainder of the sabbatical time. This is what I've been doing for a few months now. And believe me, it feels weird. It really does. Um, this, is not, this is not done as commonly as it should be done. Phase two, rest and recovery. This includes emotional and spiritual restoration according to what's effective, most effective for me personally. This is something that will require some alone time. And time doing things that provide rest for me, especially family time. Early on in the sabbatical, I'll take my first prayer retreat on my own for a few days and connect with God to the best of my abilities through prayer, through reflection, through reading and writing. Phase three is reflect and refocus. This is about listening to God. I need to listen to him. Extended time alone with God is my priority during this time. I want to hear his voice clearly and make sure that I'm listening well. 
And I have several tools that will help me do that, from prayer practices to books to journaling exercises, all kinds of things. Phase four is realignment and reaffirmation. It's a reaffirmation of my calling. I'm going to focus on what changes are necessary in my life and in my ministry. I want to prepare for maximum contribution to my family and to this ministry, to this church during the next season. And phase five is called re-entry and re-engagement. Transitioning back into ministry with fresh perspective, with fresh strength and energy and dependence. Um, I'm returning in mid-September and I look forward to what that's going to look like. God is good and he's going to do some great things in this. There are lots of potential components to the sabbatical. Um, time for my wife and I to, to spend together and just renew our marriage and our relationship Prayer, I have so far at least three prayer retreats lined up where I've booked time to just get away and I have a very strategic approach to how I'm going to spend that time. Renewal in my family life, including enabling a sabbatical of sorts for my wife. Spiritual transformation and personal renewal, and I've got several resources lined up for that. I'd like to do another spiritual gifts assessment leading to affirmation of my design and what my contribution and capacity is going to look like moving forward. And I have things for my own professional development lined up as well. I have two types of accountability built into my sabbatical. Two teams that are going to hold me accountable. And one is our elder team. They're going to play one role. And the second is one, what I call the sabbatical support team. Um, I've mentioned before every Wednesday morning I have a group of guys that meets with me and we pray together and we just celebrated this past weekend 10 years of doing that together. Um, they are going to be a regular part still of my life during the sabbatical and are there to support me. So here's my request of you, church. Your prayers for me, for my family, for this church throughout this time are going to be essential um, the elders are going to keep you updated on how the sabbatical is progressing. I'm going to communicate with them at specific intervals, and they're going to pass along updates on what's going on and what God is doing. And my second request has to do with you and your Sabbath. Will you take time in the months ahead to process the idea of entering into God's rest? Take a good hard look at that in your life. I know I'm going to come back with a lot of lessons that I'm going to share with you about the value of this. I, I know that. But this is also a very good time for us to take up the task of addressing how we're each doing and what entering into God's rest looks like in all of our lives. Jesus invites us to rest. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Have you become too dependent on your own strength? Are you pushing through rather than taking the Sabbath rest that God provides for us? Are you scared? Are you insecure? Are you simply worn out? Church, we all know that's not flourishing. But are we willing to do something about it? Rest is an essential component of our flourishing. The last thing that I want to talk about regarding flourishing is this. It's purpose. Purpose. If we are not fulfilling our purpose, we are not flourishing. Kids, one more thing for you at the tables in the back. 
In the center of your table is a little plant, a little flowering plant. It's an African violet. Have a good look at that right now. Those plants have a purpose. Their purpose is to produce flowers. If those plants had feelings, which I don't think they do, I don't talk to my plants like Jamie does, (laughs) those plants would have a serious dose of pain and sadness if you were to rip their flowers off right now. Because you would have taken away their purpose. You would have removed what they were created to do. On your tables, you also have a tiny tomato plant. Now, if those little tomato plants grow up, and these ones, they grow up, and three months from now, after I've put in hours and hours of labor, labor trying to make sure they have everything they need, and there's no weeds, and, and I'm giving them everything they need, and they still don't produce tomatoes, I cannot honestly say that these tomato plants flourished, because they don't, unless they produce fruit. Church, if we are not fulfilling our God-given purpose, we are not flourishing. In fact, I believe that we can't flourish. That's true for us as individuals, and it's true for Chapel Hill Church. God has given us a purpose. And while the specific details of that purpose vary by person and by church, we have all been created to reflect the image of the one who created us. I would encourage you to make some time soon to sit down and describe God. In words, in writing, describe him, describe his character, describe who he is. He's given us the purpose of reflecting him, his character, his image. You and I were created in his image. Which one do we reflect best? The image of God or the image of the stereotype that our culture has created for us? God delights in reflecting his image through us and through our lives. There's this sweet spot in life where we find total fulfillment, and I believe that it's when we reflect his image best, most clearly. His character grows, his power's on display, people around us are impacted, and we join God in what he's doing, and in that there is tremendous flourishing and fulfillment. Jesus came with a purpose. He came to restore humanity to wholeness. That's one of my new favorite phrases. He came to restore you and to restore others by using you in that process. This is our purpose. How it happens varies so much, but in a general sense, how are we engaged in restoring humanity to wholeness? Is that even on our radar? Or has life gotten in the way and choked out our ability to produce fruit? Church, you know there are opportunities all around us to practice this, to intentionally place our purpose at the center of our lives instead of trying to squeeze it into our schedules whenever those schedules allow. Sometimes sometimes I think this is where we lose the battle daily. The world gets first crack at our schedules. And we surrender ourselves to that, to that priority when we really need to reclaim our schedules and invite God to redeem our time. 
Now, apparently, the Apostle Paul was not unaware of this problem. He encouraged very strongly, he encouraged the church to make the best use of their time. I think that the best use of our time is living out the purpose of reflecting the image of our Creator. And he's given us plenty to work with in the how category. God is love. And as, as he is, in this world, so are we. So love Jesus invited the people who followed him to make disciples, so make disciples. He modeled a life of service for us, so serve. He forgave, so forgive. He sought the lost, so seek the lost. He sought the kingdom, so seek the kingdom. Flourishing is found in our God-given purpose. Embrace and live out that purpose. We need it to flourish. Flourishing is found in God's rest. Enter into his rest. We need it to flourish. Flourishing is found in an environment that's free of weeds. What's standing in the way of your flourishing? Root it out. The last image that I want to leave with you for this series and for the day is an image that Jesus gave us that I mentioned back at the beginning of the series. Uh, A couple of weeks back, we hosted a family night, and one of the, the stations we set up was a seed-starting station where we planted seeds that would hopefully make their way to the church garden and one day produce something that we could donate to the local food pantry. That's what we have on the tables in the back, and that's what's in this greenhouse right here. Those little plants will grow to produce tomatoes and peppers, and we have other things going now. But remember what had to happen to those tiny seeds. They had to die. Consumed by the soil, they had to die in order to produce fruit. Just like Jesus said about the kernel of wheat, that seed had to die in order to truly flourish. Jesus also had to die in order to truly flourish. And not only did he have to die to flourish himself in what he came to do, He had to die in order for you and me to flourish. We live because he died. We flourish because he died. We are the fruit that was produced through his death. And this morning we remember his death. So I'm going to invite our worship team to come up now and prepare. We're going to share communion this morning And as you come to share communion, I want you to remember that someone had to die to bring about your flourishing. Our efforts and our intelligence are not enough to produce flourishing in our own lives. The best that we can do is a cheap imitation of flourishing. But we have been invited to take up our crosses, to die to ourselves, to our own self-sufficiency, our own will, and join Christ as he raises us from the dead. Remember that as you come to share communion this morning. Now, for those of you at the tables in the back, your communion elements are there on your tables. You can share those with each other and partake together. Um, For those of you sitting here, I invite you, when we enter into a time of song, I invite you to come. Come to the center aisle, come up here to the front, 
Come by the tables and get your elements. The bread and cup are here. And then you can return down the outside to your seat or to the back or near the cross, wherever you want to be um, for this time of communion. And partake whenever you're ready. Just take it when you're ready. Take some time if you need to to pray, to prepare your heart for this. And then during sometime during the next couple of songs, just enter into it with this kind of an attitude, with this kind of gratitude in your heart. Finally, I want to just remind you that what we have coming up is a significant time of walking through the Easter season. It begins next Sunday. We're going to talk about the triumphal entry and how that begins the message that will carry on right through Resurrection Sunday morning. We've got a good Friday service in there. There's lots going on. This is a great time to invite someone to come and experience truth and hope, all that comes through this message of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Let's pray, and then we'll share communion together. Father, I thank you this morning for all that you've given us to remind us that it is your intent for us to flourish. It is your intent for us to live the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. But we wouldn't have received that without him dying first without him enduring on the cross what none of us would ever wish on our worst enemy. And we thank you this morning for what Jesus did. Thank you that he willingly put himself in the place of the sacrificial lamb. He offered up his body to be tortured and beaten and crucified, to die and be buried. He offered up his blood to be shed so that we could be washed clean. And as those who are washed clean because of the forgiveness that Jesus Christ brings, we can live flourishing lives. God, I ask for that flourishing in each one of our lives. I ask for that flourishing in the life of Chapel Hill Church. Help us to remember the things you've shown us about flourishing. And what we remember today and what your son did for us, help us to remember that as we go into the weeks ahead and to invite others into hearing and experiencing and receiving the hope and the truth, the gift that comes through what Jesus Christ did for us. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you for your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.